0: It's the end of the year and nobody knows about Hogmanay like a couple of fake Scotsmen like Tom and myself. So we're standing on your doorstep with a lump of coal and waiting to see who's going to be the first foot across your door. Well, I'm a little bit wobbly on your doorstep. (laughs) I think everybody is around this time of the year. This is the Gas Giants and we are coming at you with our end of the year roundup. The stuff that was important, the stuff that wasn't, wasn't. quite big enough to make it into sh- into shows, the stuff that we thought was worth drawing your attention to, and actually a little bit of uh, of
1: review on stuff that we got right and wrong or need to adjust exactly. or had to.
0: Yeah, yeah, very important. It's nice to have a look back. Well, it's something we've. Uh, I've sort of selected one or two things. I've tried to put stuff into different categories. Yes. Uh, Yes. You're big on the categories, aren't you?
1: Something to do. Yes. Like films and TV shows and whatever. Now, everybody that takes this seriously when they're producing their year end lists, it's got to be something that was new that year.
0: Yeah, but that's not necessarily true with us because um, there are things that I've, for whatever reason, discovered uh some things maybe that other people have known about for a while but i came to them during this year yeah. so so i don't take that uh, that sort of um you know i, I cuz i it's a kind of commercial thing anyway uh when you read these end of year roundups in magazines and newspapers they're about selling something Yes, they're about sort of promoting something that's new this year, and uh, we're uh, we're a little bit more long sighted than that. and <laughs> So I think <laughs> uh, the correct
1: answer to this is I actually don't consume pop culture at all i mean what i mean what i mean that i don't have a tv and i don't read any of any of the sort of like periodicals that would keep me up to date with what's new so i periodicals that would keep
0: you up to date with what's new granddad like, I'm sorry. Yeah, a periodical. <laughs> you know what a periodical is right yes a small literary magazines produced in bloomsbury yes.
1: <laughs> I, how is how is the new yorker with its listings not a periodical all right, yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the kind of thing I mean. So if you're, yeah. if you're reading the NME online, I guess these days, online these oh, days, yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> or, 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 or wire magazine or whatever. I, I just don't consume yeah. any of these kinds of things. So I don't know when something's new. I, I you know, I just miss it. You know, that's mm. my excuse. And it's not because I'm trying to take a longer view. It's just, I'm not with it. I'm, I'm, I'm out of touch.
0: Yeah, well, but anyway, it's. Uh, I think talking about it this way uh, kind of explains the a uh, little bit the journey that we go through throughout the year as well, which is interesting.
1: No, yeah. all right. Well, you conduct us through
0: your categories then. Uh, should we start with film? Yeah, if you want, I, I don't mind. Okay. Start uh, right at the start of the year. Now, this was a film that came out this year, actually. There was uh, a film called Rimini, yeah, which uh, which got my attention, and I went to see it in the in the uh, movie theater. Um, I heard about it actually first off German TV, but uh, then because it was on in the in the uh, in the local cinema here, uh, Petra and I went to see it, uh, which is the story of a, a clapped out what the Germans call Schlager Zenger. Yeah. Or sort of, uh, there's this very uh, particular subgenre of, of music in Germany of sort of rather cheesy sort of uh, hits. Unterhaltungsmusik.
1: Unterhaltungsmusik. Sorry, uh, I mean, I just entertainment music for grandmas. Yeah,
0: yeah. And this guy who who lives his life by performing all of this uh, in Rimini in Italy, and uh, the film actually happens throughout his. Uh, his off season in uh, in the winter, when it gets you know bitterly raining and cold and everything, mm-hmm. he also kind of has a um, a sort of uh, an interesting side hustle as a, as a gigolo for old ladies, which we which we uh, we learn as the film goes on. But uh, but the film moves sharply into a, a second act as his daughter of, uh, I suppose she'd be about sort of 19 or something years, turns up. And uh, this is, you know, the he's had an affair with, with her mother years ago and basically abandoned her and her, and her mother. And um, she turns up and attacks him for subjecting her to this terrible uh, childhood and uh, moves in with... Her boyfriend, who I think is Syrian, and uh, a whole uh, bunch of of, uh, of refugees who she's sort of helping uh, get on their feet in uh, in in Italy. And it was a ve- I found it a very very interesting film about the whole business of getting old and time passing and aging and adapting. Actually, I thought it was a. a Wonderfully, very human piece of work. Absolutely brutally funny. Um, the scene when he accepts that uh, that uh, his behaviour was so horrible and he he um, he uh, sentenced her to a to a very unpleasant childhood, uh, and he tries to make up for that by performing the title song, title song of Winnie Two, which is. <laughs> there's also watching this in a Portuguese um, cinema uh, uh, you know I think probably we were the only German speakers in the audience and when this came on uh, we were certainly the only people who understood all the sort of uh, the, the cultural joke and we were absolutely crying with laughter when it happened and we were the only two laughing <laughs> mm. <laughs> So that was uh, that was definitely a, a great movie, which I enjoyed, and I would heartily recommend.
1: I tried watching it and, and and couldn't get very far. There are a few things standing in the way, but but basically the the big one was a feeling of well, let's put it let's t- let me try and turn it the other way around. If oh. you're dealing with old people in old people's homes and funeral parlors and graveyards and that's that's the subject matter and you're presenting people who are in these conditions uh, living you know their uh, their later part of their life in these conditions yeah. then from a filmmaking and dramatic point of view there's only so much scope you have for how that's presented for the audience. And okay. for me, the um, the presentation came across as oh, this is one of these ones where we're going to look at how you know, alien these lives are. How we all try to sort of steer clear from them as much as possible. And 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 leave these unfortunates to their, you know, as, uh, you know, as though they were locked up in an asylum or something, and it it seemed to be presenting it in a way that was pushing our our alienation of them in my face as the audience, in mm. and and of course that's something that art films from Europe are mm. uh, won't yeah. do, you know. Uh, being judgmental in a way but at the same time that's exploiting that's the film exploiting both me and my guilt and the audience mm. and, and the actual subject matter for their filmmaking uh, advantage for their filmmaking profit and you know and I've got a certain way into this and alright I'll stick with it for a while what have you And mm. you've got this grotesque main character that you talked about um, mm. who's presumably at some point going to become comic but it, that didn't happen during the like the 30 minutes that i watched it for it was just hmm. it was just pathetic and and so you again you have this sense of all right what does the director here or the writers what are the filmmakers want me to take from this and you know and a lot of the the way that it'd been photographed and framed was you know, it just a lot of it was pissing me off so i put it
0: off Okay, well, well what, um, what was the film that did get you going this year, then? I had a lot of fun with They Cloned Tyrone. Yeah, I, I only watched the trailer of that, but yes, it does
1: look good. <laughs> yes, it's a, um, there, was a, there was a film that, in a, in a way, um, it was, it's almost like the same kind of thing from a few years back called Sorry to Bother You. Mm-hmm. uh which was again i think uh both made largely uh featuring um uh featuring american black culture and, mm-hmm. and artists so lake and Tyrone was was uh, was even made for black audiences um and and they both involve ridiculous conspiracy theories and uh magic Thank you. um and um, well, I mean, in the case of, in, in the case of, um, sorry to bother you,
2: mm.
1: uh, a young black man is, gets hired as a um, as a cold caller, selling something mm. or other, I forget what. And then about, at some point, the uh, he's getting frustrated at not getting not getting anywhere with his cold calls, and uh, and an older man next to him says, "When you're doing these calls, you've got to put on your white voice." <laughs> and And they have a bit of a back and forth, and he's all upset about being told to put on a white voice and the the older guy persuades him and and all of a sudden, he's David Cross. You know his yeah. voice he speaks, and his voice comes out as the voice of David Cross. As white as you can possibly get, <laughs> but also very comical. <laughs> so that's the that's the magic. But there's there's also some you know uh-huh. some some weird horror movie kind of style magic in that movie. And, and so it is also in the client Tyrone. Yeah. Uh, it's just you know it's just a bit of fun
0: really. Uh, the, it sounds like it all reminds me a, a little bit, not not much, but just a little bit. Of uh, a film from the 1970s called The Watermelon Man. <laughs> Maybe I think about this this guy who's uh, who's who's really who's white and is racist and wakes up one morning black. Yeah. And how how his life changes. I believe is it Mario Van Peebles that movie? I think it might be. Well, you can look it up
1: if you want. Um, uh, the yeah, well, this I one will. this one involves a nice uh, a nice little. Um, nice little scene where everybody at the um at the fried chicken restaurant uh goes kind of a bit crazy insane enjoying their fried chicken so much uh, mm. because there's a cons- there's a conspiracy there that's putting some kind of mind altering substance into
0: their fried chicken into fried chicken <laughs> yes it is it's uh, Melvin Van Peebles yeah 1970 that's uh, yeah yeah uh Okay. Yeah. No. Uh, that that certainly looks like something I'd, uh, look, I'd I'd have a look at. The big the big. I don't, I don't know whether this counts as TV
1: show or or film, but uh, radiant as the blood of the baboon heart was the big, uh, the big mm. moment for me because of course I'd been hoping for a uh, an eighth season of Venture Brothers, mm. but they uh, they didn't get it. But they did manage to get a. You know, a, a, I think a direct-to-streaming movie Love out of it. it. So it's a feature length, you know, an hour and a half long. And it, yes, it's very satisfying. There's nothing whatsoever disappointing about this movie. But you don't know much about Venture Brothers, do you? I think I showed you a couple of episodes when you visited last year.
0: Yes, no, you did. You did indeed. Mm. No, I, I was going to leave the leave the floor to you for this because mm. um, I didn't think I could possibly. Well, Get I mean, into the yeah, whole the it's it's a
1: it's a look it's a um, it, it's on Adult Swim so it's even weirder mm-hmm. than 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 the weird stuff on Comedy Central mm-hmm. uh, so it's um, okay maybe it's not weirder than Ugly Americans Ugly Americans mm-hmm. I miss Ugly Americans um, but Venture Brothers was a was a fun TV show with superb animation had music by Jim Thurwell. The first episode I watched was from the first season, and the first season has got an enormous title sequence. Mm. And I'm quite convinced that it's so enormously long because they wanted to do a huge cut from one of my favorite, Jim Thurwell. So it's Steroid Maximus. It's from the album Colimbo um, mm. is the name of the album. Uh, mm. I got some in the early 90s. You know, I was, I was, you know, I, I was in when that music came on. So, mm, yeah. And, and you know, he stuck with it and the, has done the music for him and threw it out. And, and interestingly, oftentimes the music makes it hard to understand the, uh, the dialogue because the music's so damn loud.
2: <laughs> right? yeah. These guys have got
1: good taste in music. Uh, I like this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they, you know, they—it's it, so lovingly done. It's so carefully drawn. I mean, they took twenty years to do eight seasons. Wow! Um, and th- it's so dense with with uh, fun jokes. All, a lot of which I don't get because I'm not. Mm. Uh, they, the, you know, they're they're a little bit younger than us. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's very very cool. Um, anyway, so that was the final. That was the end of uh, oh, Venture oh. Brothers. They uh, they got they got their final. Season eight as a as a movie. And so I... Oh, yeah. And I got for Chris... For my birthday, I got the full DVD set because um, it had disappeared from the streaming services I wanted. The only way uh, I could yes. find it was in a uh, sort of... Uh, was where you buy individual episodes or seasons for prices that seem too much. So screw it. Buy the yeah. seven seasons on the DVD set and then buy the final episode on streaming. Hmm.
0: Great stuff. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, so I've got actually two Portuguese films. Uh, oh, yeah, I one think, of which has got this hilarious trailer that I watched. Yeah, I think you're talking about uh, No Soy Nada, which I would like to come to second. Mm-hmm. But uh, the, the first one was actually on, uh, on Amazon Prime here, and uh, I watched it with, uh, with Lottie one, one rainy afternoon, which was, uh, it's called Snoo. And uh, it's about this extraordinary lady, Snu abacassis who was um who was Danish and who ran a publishing house in uh, in Portugal uh during the uh, during the start of novel, so before the before the revolution in seventy four. And um then um uh, despite the fact that she was married, became involved with the also married uh, politician Francisco Sá just after the uh, just after the revolution, um, and the, you know, the, uh he's, he's a very important figure in Portuguese politics. He was uh, he uh, became prime minister and then died in a rather mysterious plane crash, which is. Sort of appears every so often in the papers that it wasn't an accident, and there is, uh, you know, there's loads of theories about how uh, how this actually came about. Um, there's a lot of, uh, I mean, I, f- I feel a complete fraud even talking about this because, despite the fact that I've lived in this country for 30 years, there's a whole lot of the politics that I just don't even start to get. Um, but uh, the and you know I'm sure there's there's a lot of Portuguese listeners who are talking uh, listening to this now and saying you know oh, that that film's all bullshit and that that didn't happen and that's not true. Uh, I haven't taken it as a documentary. It does give you a sort of idea of what things must have been like back mm. then. Yeah. Like all Portuguese movies, it looks beautiful. And it really does. Um, Lottie and I had a had a, a lot of fun spotting where some of the locations were. Particularly, I, I believe the offices of the Donkey Shop Publishing House are uh, the local public library here in Porto, <laughs> which is quite funny. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's uh, even if you just want to watch this movie just for the look of it. It's, uh, it's, it's worth worth doing and it's, it's quite an interesting story and this would be maybe uh, a good start for and I'm, I'm saying this uh, to myself as well I, this is the sort of thing that might encourage me to read a bit more about this particular area. Yes. So that's, that's on Amazon Prime at the moment. And in the theater. so does here, it actually I cover know- does it
1: actually cover the, the general pol- the general political setup of the revolution?
0: Uh, no, not so much. Um, it uh, it kind of, no, That's that would take too big a film. Mm. That would, um, yeah. it covers a tiny bit at the beginning of her life as uh, somebody who was in charge of a publishing house, which published often, uh, well, as left-wing literature as she was allowed to by the secret police and there's a, there's a scene at the beginning when she's trying to bring out a book about birth control and abortion and uh, the film later goes on about the sort of role of the church in uh, in in politics and stuff like that it's yeah it's it is interesting like I say I do not treat it as a documentary and uh, it's probably wise not to. But uh, but it's it's worth a look and it's quite interesting. It shows a bit of light on uh, on a story that's maybe well known here in Portugal but isn't so well known uh, outside. So now on to <laughs> the film that had caught your eye. Yes. Nada, uh which is a film about um guys marrying Groucho Marks, eyebrows. Uh, Well, no, he actually did look like that. Fernando Pessoa. Everybody in this movie does. Yeah, there's a reason for that. This entire movie is taking place in Fernando Pessoa's head. Oh, okay. (laughs) You see? So they all look like him. Well, yeah, because they all are him. Fernando Pessoa was uh, was a a great Portuguese poet who wrote under, I think, something like over a hundred different names and he he refused to call them pseudonyms because uh he thought of these all of these people as completely different people but obviously they all resembled him so, so <laughs> uh, he went so far because he was interested in um in in the esotericism and, and all the rest of it he went so far as to actually uh cast horoscopes for all of these different poets. And he, he wrote in completely different styles, mm-hmm. sometimes in different languages as well. Yeah. And so this film takes place entirely inside his head, uh, which is basically a factory made up of all these men who all have different styles of hat, moustache and glasses. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who were all hammering away on typewriters, <laughs> writing these poems? For okay, him. okay, all right. So this uh, this helps because I l-
1: I watched the trailer and of course it's, the language is I don't know anything about the poet yeah. you're talking about and the language is, is is foreign to me. So all I just I, so when you were just talking about how all Portuguese films are beautiful to look at, yeah. I was thinking. This, this movie is act, the way, sorry, from that trailer, the way it looks, I, th- I could hold that up as my quintessential example of quintessentialism as, huh. a, as a visual art in, in movies. You know, this yes. thing I've argued in the past is when, you know, when, when directors and, and producers, I suppose, are all just trying too hard and mm. it ends up looking way more like, you know, remember, remember some sports used to have exhibition games yeah right uh-huh. you know it's an exhibition game for the cinematic arts as opposed to telling a story you know that that's what well, they that's what a lot of movies end up being like but the but, thing but is, now it makes sense it yeah. makes sense it's in his head now that's in his that, head yes.
0: but also none of those things are sets all of those are real locations right that Ev- everywhere it doesn't this.
1: it doesn't really matter to, my, to the, the issue of quintessentialism can, is, is, is to do with a, uh, an overwhelming sense of what you're looking at is a, is a great director who can make uh-huh, it look yeah. like this. Yeah. As opposed to transparency through to the story they're trying to sell. Yeah. If you understand what
0: I mean. Well, but it, it, was, uh, it happened that uh, the Lottie said at the dinner table one night, one of my teachers at the school is in this film. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I said, "Right, where's it playing? Let's go out and have a look at it." And so we all set off to the movies uh, <laughs> and actually watched this watched this film. And um, the, there's there's another thing which uh, I mean, also I'm once again I'm embarrassed even talking about this because every you know Portuguese high school kid knows more about Fernando Pessoa than I do, but. Um, I think just about. Mm, I think maybe all of the of the dialogue in this movie is taken from from Pessoa's poems. Hmm. I I don't know that there's anything actually uh, original in there. It's people. All, every line that is spoken, I think, is from some poem or other of his. Now um, that also make
1: sense with what you said earlier about everybody being him and that a typewriter
0: yeah except because there's uh, there's the only uh, female character uh, in the movie who speaks you know perfect Oxford English as well as Portuguese because he he wrote he's he uh, he spoke very very good English and uh, obviously she's the muse you know uh, he's uh, Oh God, he he was an unbelievable character. He he lived this uh, lived this life life as a translator. He was uh, he'd been educated in South Africa and come back to Portugal. Um, he died at the age of about forty six or something. Um, he had run a run a, a a magazine for a while, very futurist and uh, poetry magazine uh which kind of stuttered on and off it didn't have terribly regular uh circulation um he lived in kind of genteel poverty in a way uh didn't publish very much, and most of his uh, most of his works were actually discovered after his death at the age of forty six or something like that. Uh, In a large trunk in his in his house, and uh, this is uh, You know uh, there's so much writing and uh, he's He got so famous after after his death because he was he was really Somebody nobody looked at twice whilst he was alive and this there's now this huge business around Fernando Pessoa has sprung up Yeah but, um, there's, uh, yeah, even, I mean, uh, the, the, the professor of, uh, of Lottie's who was, uh, who's in the movie was playing, um, I forget the name now, but he was basically, he comes in as a detective to try and solve what's, uh, what's happening to, uh, to to some of the some of the different characters and uh, of course he's he is the pseudonym that Perso used for the uh, several detective novels that he wrote <laughs> on stage It was very popular at that time amongst uh, writers writing detective nom- uh, novels under another name hmm. yes the, the the look of the film is is absolutely gorgeous uh Is it a masterpiece? I don't know. Lottie got very annoyed with the fact that uh, she said it kind of makes Bessore look like he was crazy when actually it was anything but. Uh, But it might have been crazy inside his head. might have been crazy inside his head, yeah. I know, that's kind of what I thought. But, uh, but yeah, um, it's... It's a a pretty good movie to to pass the time. And, uh, you know, I mean, the the judge of a good movie is that a couple of days later, Lottie and I were still arguing about it. so
1: That's one way way to judge it. It's done its job. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Speaking of adequate to pass the time, mm -hmm. um, I'm going to rattle off a few here real quick. Ava watched Bank of Dave. Have you heard of it? No. Um, it's about a, uh, a community bank um, mm-hmm. and that did successfully get started up, and it uh, documents in what is, by all accounts, a very nice comedy. Uh, it documents mm-hmm. what happened in terms of the difficulties that were thrown up. Our stage of capitalism is—I refer to it. I'm not the idea. I'm not the person that came up with this idea. Is financial capitalism, and Uh it has really displaced productive capitalism Uh in in terms of the Marxian critique of it being the dominant class power within our pseudo democracy. Right. Whereas, and so the analogy here I like to use is in in Marxian. The Marxian analysis of uh, the the power of the capitalist class, uh, the means of production, control of the means of production was the, mm. the core. Yes. Yeah. yeah. In in financial capitalism, the control of the right to create credit is mm. the core power. Uh, so, for example, North Dakota has a state bank. Uh, and everybody can have an account there, and it's run very well in the interests of the citizens of North Dakota. Yeah. And hardly anybody outside of North Dakota knows anything about this. And if the idea were to spread yeah. that you could do such a thing, I've been arguing we should have public banking a long time ago. Everybody yes. should be allowed you know, a savings account at some kind of public bank. I don't care if it's the Fed. You know, it, it, yeah. or you know, or something like that. Not the Fed is actually private, but you know, a public bank, and its policies are set by, uh, you know, by by the public through the election of, of the yeah, politicians.
0: Uh, I, th- I think the co-op worked like that for a long time in Britain.
1: So I mean, that that's another way of looking at the contrast, right? But the the capacity to create credit is essentially a uh, a regulated, almost a monopolized. Rent extraction process now, but uh-huh. it, it comes with the legally uh, bound um, or the legally supported uh, ability to f- foreclose on people's property to settle debts. Yeah. Right, that's almost more powerful than control of the means of production, and it's actually <laughs> yep. go- and 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 uh, as far as we as far back as we've got documented history, this power. The, 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 the has been a, a major political issue. Uh, mm-hmm. Whether or not, uh, so for example, ancient Judaic law uh, has jubilees. You have to wipe the slate clean every now and then. Exactly, right? yes. Um, so things like that. Anyway, Bank of Dave, I haven't watched it yet. Ava said it was good.
0: Okay, yeah, well, that's on the list.
1: Yeah. Uh, sounds,
0: yeah. It does sound interesting.
1: Yeah. Uh, Emily the Criminal is a uh, John Patton Ford. Thriller. Mm -hmm. I guess what's interesting about it is that the setup is we've got, you know, like a lot of these movies now, we've got a young woman who's uh, the the tough central character uh, who gets the job done. But the job Mm -hmm. here is she um, she's suffering under an enormous amount of uh, student loan uh, debt and Mm -hmm. didn't graduate uh, because she got uh, a criminal record, something. Not not particularly mm. big, but it's enough of a criminal record, and that that threw everything into a mess. And now she can't get a a, a high earning job, the kind of job you would need in order to pay off
0: pay off That's that own. kind
1: of student loan. Yeah. And there's a uh, and so she's got a job working just doing just labouring for a catering firm. And uh, there's a there's a really nice scene in there where she's offered where one of her friends, who's part of the New York. I guess it isn't you. I don't know actually. I'm oh well. She lives in the city, right? <laughs> Who's part of the, you know, the, the beautiful people of the uh, of the young beautiful uh, women of the uh, professional middle uh, managerial class uh <laughs> at some advertising company. She gets her an interview there, and during the interview it transpires that this is an unpaid internship position. How long does that last? Uh, might last six months. Then I'll consider putting you. What? <laughs> I'm going to work for you full time for six months for nothing. <laughs> that doesn't go, so that doesn't go very well. Anyway, she just uh, uh, she and uh, she turns to crime. She gets work from uh, a small-time criminal who's uh, working with stolen credit card numbers to print credit cards and go and buy stuff uh, and then flog it. Um, uh, and she develops then later a uh, something of a. Uh, romantic attachment to him uh, but anyway I don't want to spoil the it's a thriller so it's mm, got a yeah. uh, it's got a thing that turns out and it has a a, a fun little twist in the tail um, mm. so there's that it was it's okay you know it's, it's good enough but the so it's got it's got enough thriller in it the kind of thriller that makes me feel ooh, ooh, do I feel really comfortable watching this I'm going to do some pacing mm. up and down now it's one of those reasons why I don't like Cinemas, because if I have to pace up and down, I can do oh, that more okay. easily at home, you know. Um, Bank of Dave, what else is worth Have you got any more on your list oh, from movie no, channels? No. Well, okay, so the big one of the big deals that happened to me this year was subscribing to the Criterion channel. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah so, I can't get that here. No, I think it's just the US and Canada. <sighs> Uh, where they've got the licensing for the content. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we'd have to set you up with a VPN to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pain in the ass. Um, that has a few interesting, well, it's got like 4,000 movies on it, but and a lot of them are good. For example, for Christmas, they put like, uh, about 30 Hitchcock movies up. Oh, nice, yeah. Yeah. Um, and we watched not a, a not very good one the other day. What was it called? Torn Curtain. It's his uh, spine oh. thriller. Have you watched that one? I think I might have, yes. Yeah. Paul, Neu- Paul Newman and Julie Andrews. <laughs> yes. Yes, I have. Yeah. Um, <clears> yeah. Anyway.
0: And, of course, uh, this is how you watched Welt am Yes, that's right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which um, I later discovered after I'd bought the bloody thing that it was on YouTube. <laughs> <But hey. laughs> well,
1: maybe it wasn't at the time. Who knows? Uh. Um, it, it really ought to get taken down. It shouldn't be there. Um, but they do have a few... Um, they do have a few... Premieres, uh, You know, stuff that's released there and not elsewhere, right, or, okay. or limited time premieres or whatever. And one of the movies that we watched was called Lynch Oz, Lynch slash Oz, OZ. Oh. And it's a documentary film in which a number of filmmakers are interviewed about uh, the correspondence between The Wizard of Oz and the movies of David Lynch. Uh, interesting. Which I hadn't actually thought about before, and I think it is a nice a nice parallel. Uh because in a lot of uh David Lynch movies we've got this it, it's it's more complicated in inland mm. in empire, so let's not use that as our reference. But mm-hmm. if you were to take something like Mulholland Drive, it's very clear or certain or blue velvet, a lot of them. Um uh, yeah. you've got this Interplay between uh, two worlds—one where where our lead characters sort of blend between them or move between them—in in in a way that does have have some some reasonable correspondences with um, with The Wizard of Oz, Uh, you know, because I mean, what what is The Wizard of Oz really like for uh, for Dorothy? Right, she goes from this drab black and white world yeah. living with farm animals and 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 a few idiots to technical world or mm. uh, where she can be a queen yeah and then she ends up back in Oz at the end sorry not in Oz, but back in no in kansas yeah. kansas at the end I mean, i'm so happy to be back with my family, I feel yeah. safe again, and you know yeah. she's lying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's and and in you know in something like Blue Velvet, you know, you've got these these nice kids who start to discover, the, you know, these horrible criminal characters who are doing horrible perverse things, but they find it oh, so wow. enticing to look at and think about, and it's so dangerous beyond. Yeah. You know, anyway, so that's that was the general premise, yeah. um, and some of the. Some of the interviews are quite good, so the interviews were were were, were just kind of uh, they worked as voiceovers. They did a huge amount of edits of uh, Oz and Lynch movies to oh. provide the visuals to go along with it. Um, and uh, John Waters was one of them, but he wasn't the oh. best one. And I, actually, the the last one that they had was was a bit of a letdown. But you know, generally speaking, the idea there is there there are some, there are some ideas in there that are pretty. Pretty cool. Yeah, so, there was that. Uh, what else have I got to run through with films? The and the Cloner?" Oh, Living. You know Bill Nye, the uh, English actor. Uh huh. He was. Ava and I became sort of fans when we watched a, an old movie called Still Crazy, which was about washed up. What do you call that? Yeah, uh, a washed up rock band. Uh-huh. Uh so it's not you know, it's definitely shows some correspondences with Spinal this is Spinal Tap, but yes, it's not a mockumentary. It's it's a it's, it's a movie, sort of dramatic movie. Um mm. anyway, Bill Nye was in that. Um and but this movie is it was came out twenty two, we watched it twenty this year. It's a remake of Ikiru, the Kurosawa movie which ah. is said to have been based upon the death of Ivan Illich. Okay. and it was a remake uh had a uh japanese screenplay or a, a screenplay from a japanese author and is is very overtly so an a homage to, to kurosawa not looking anything like it but it's um but it's set in 50s london uh hmm. with wow. And, and it deals with the the, the life of a um, of a bureaucrat who is in, you know who works at uh, at that time it would be the there would be one city council for london right mayor uh-huh, and yes. one world mayor and one city council <coughs> and the, the glc wasn't it later i think oh, they okay. yeah i think it was called um, the city council or something then lcc london county council Yes, actually, I think that might be right. Yes. Um, anyway, so there's a, uh, there's a group of women who are trying to push through a proposal to get the council to build a children's playground on a bombed out site between, you know, in, a, in terrace housing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and they just keep getting the run around, uh, mm. getting sent from department to department. Anyway, the uh the the old guy who's head of the a particular group, a particular uh, d- department there. Um mm-hmm. he gets the news that he's terminally ill. Uh so this disrupts his life and he starts behaving a bit stupidly and somehow eventually ends up back at work and decides to champion their cause. Uh-huh. um so it's really about his Journey, and this is a little bit like the death of Ivan Elich, in coming to terms with the fact that he's dying, is ill, and he's dying. And what are you going to do about that? Who, who cares in your life? Yeah. How is your family dealing with it? Can you even tell them about? Are they going to be sympathetic and so forth? Um, mm-hmm. It is nicely done. I think it's. Uh, I think it's worth a look. Um, okay. I. I. I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was I th- a good movie.
0: Yeah.
1: I particularly remember how the I didn't know anything about it when we started watching. I just put it on and Mm -hmm. the the way the the titles, the opening titles were done made me wonder, is this actually made in the 50s? Ah, right. You know, the way the the way they would manipulated the film or the the images Mm -hmm. and done the graphics and so forth was was really pretty cool. Mm. Yeah. All right. I'm done with films.
0: Okay, um, what do you want to go on to next, then? Shall we do podcasts? Yeah, sure. Just for a laugh. Yeah. Because, actually, I'd like to... uh, I think you and I both had a minor revelation here. No, what's that? And that was something that I, I, I sent to you to listen to, which was uh, the Bureau of Lost Culture and their interview with Brian Auger. Yes, that was good, wasn't it? Yes. Wasn't I, that wonderful? Yeah. I
1: tried listening to that podcast a few times and run into difficulties with it. Yeah. Uh, the first time I tried, it's got it's got background music. It's, it's all like this Advertising, especially if it's just on the internet or, or some cheap splainer that, that some companies put together, mm-hmm. is has got jolly ukulele music or something, mm-hmm. right? And you can tell, you know, they've dialed up jolly ukulele music in the app for putting soundtrack to whatever it is they're doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. Do you? Yeah, well, it, it
0: doesn't go on that long. It goes on for the first it sort went, of introductory it went, it part. It went
1: on for long enough, and I was going like, I, I hate this music so much, I'm putting it off. That was the first time I tried. Oh. The second time I tried, I managed to skip over that stuff to a, an interview where one guy was talking ten times louder than the other, and we were oh. in the car. So it, it was just impossible to hear what one person was saying, you know, because oh. of the car noise. Uh, voice levelling. I do the production on this podcast and you know, levelling is important in podcasts. Right. Come on
0: guys. But uh, but I persevered with this because actually I, I quite enjoy uh, the Bureau of Lost Culture. And when I heard the Brian Auger uh, interview, I knew that this was actually something really important that you would, you would get into. Yeah, that's great. And, uh, and the revelation came at the moment when he, he talked about, uh, you know, his <coughs> earlier life as a, as a pianist. and Brian an Auger is, is what? Explain that to our audience, please. Oh, uh, Brian Auger uh, was a British, uh, I suppose, jazz rock. Jazz. He was, sort of, he was a keyboard player. A keyboard he was a commercial player.
1: keyboard player and worked in yeah. a number of uh, kinds of music including uh, for, famous of course for leading face. this
0: band called the Steam Packet. Brian Auger Steam Packet. Well, but and also later famous on, almost also famous for one hit pop song. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Uh, the Road to Cairo. And uh and also uh oh yeah, of course uh, this uh, this wheels on fire. No, that was green No, but they they did a they did a cover of that. Yeah. 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 Um and uh, also famous later on for something called the Oblivion Express. Mm-hmm. Uh, t- um, yeah, um, he was the first person to to really bring this that sort of you know Jimmy Smith style, quite uh, funky style of organ playing to Britain, mm. um, along with uh, who was the other guy? God, now. Oh, Graham Bond, of course. Graham Bond, but um, yeah, uh, there was there was a moment early on in this in this interview where he talks about um, about being around in London and working as a keyboard player, and uh, you know he said he'd, he'd go into go into Ronnie Scott's club. And they'd all be uh, they'd all be really serious and wearing suits and you know everybody's for the
1: everybody's sitting down at these uh, yeah. tables uh, yeah little table cute little tables yeah
0: and uh, but you know he said the music'd be fantastic but uh, but then he'd go across the road uh, to a club called the Flamingo yeah. uh, where you know there was they were playing sort of R and B and all this kind of uh, soul music and. And uh, it'd all be filled with great girls, and everybody'd be dancing, and there'd be a lot of noise, and every, you know, and a lot of Americans really, in the audience. Yeah, and it'd be really uh, going like a fair. And he used to think, you know, can we not somehow can these two worlds not collide yeah. somehow? Yes, can yes. you not have the erudite side of the of of what's going on in Ronnie's with the sheer sort of energy and excitement yeah. of what's going on in the flamingo.
1: Yeah. Which is a great way of looking at the whole problem. Isn't it? Yeah. And and it it doesn't work though. It's never well, it's I never it's never been made to really work. You know? It it and I in the end, I think it's it's reasonable. Because if uh, if you want, you want is is dance music that's going to get people energized, that's going to make people want to not be sitting down anymore and to get up and go dance and do something sexy. It needs mm. to be catchy and simple and powerful and repetitive. It, it it needs to have the qualities of of hooking you in uh, without mm. distracting you from your core task, which is to go
0: dancing. Mm. I don't know. I think he gave it a pretty good shot. Actually, I, I really, uh, it, really enjoy a lot of his records. I, th- I think that it can be done,
1: but I don't think it's going to be successful in replacing
0: in replacing dance music. You know, it's it's oh, going no, to have no, I don't a small think that's audience. The point. Uh, I, I don't think he was trying to replace anything, but he was trying to create something new out of a fusion of those two yeah. things. Yeah, I think that was it. No, that and, 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 and that
1: that 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 is a cool thing to do. What I'm what I'm getting at is, you know, you can't have a club that's got an even bigger mm. audience of people doing that thing in between. You know, I I think that they're I think that that's hard to mm. hard to do commercially.
0: Yeah. But uh anyway certainly that episode uh I'll have to link that onto our Substack page. Um that episode's uh is is really worth listening to because he's just such a great raconteur. Yeah. He has a he has a very a very pleasant voice to listen to and a very urgent way of delivering what he has to say despite being over
1: 80 and you can and Um, you can tell he's not he's you know unlike me in particular he's not a particularly critical sort of person he's just in he's just recalling what all
0: the fun he had yeah 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 and it's uh yeah it's a wonderfully life-affirming thing to listen to yeah yeah i enjoyed a lot and there was a lot of
1: details in there that were really worth noting I mean, one of yeah. them, one of them that I particularly enjoyed was when he was introduced to the organ. Like a lot of people, he goes, "No, I play piano. I'm serious. Piano is yeah. what serious people do." And he you know, he got persuaded, 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 and eventually, and he said, "Oh wow, this! Oh yeah, the amplifiers, the you know the knobs and things you can control the sound
0: with. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so loud." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. What I wasn't so uh, wild about, and this uh, this is my only other thing that I was going to talk about on pop- podcasts, was um, the Anthony Burgess Foundation has been doing a. a, a a whole series. Yeah. Because uh way back in I think it was 1984, wasn't it? Yeah. Um Anthony Burgess wrote an article about the 99 best novels in the English language since the outbreak of the war. And uh, so from 1939 to 1980 when he wrote it, yeah. Yeah, well I th- I think that yeah. was I think I've got the dates right. And uh so he had finally, they'd finally got round to Lanark, which was on that list. So what you're saying is that they produced 99 podcasts? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They have a series of podcasts where, they, where people come on, they, they bring on an expert uh, on Lanark, or on, on the particular book that's on this list of 99 novels. And uh, and they uh, have a conversation with this person about this particular novel, how it related to Burgess, and uh, what he wrote about it, because, of course, a lot of these are novels that he personally reviewed when they came out. And then the, the last question is usually, you know, what, what, if you had to make the number up to 100, what would you choose? I forget, uh, the guy who was on um, being interviewed was um was uh, Alistair Gray's biographer who's called Rog oh my god there's nothing like uh, there's nothing like research first, isn't there?
1: Yeah, it's great a great form of um podcast listening is to listening to somebody looking something up on their phone.
0: Oh god. Anyway, it was it was his secretary and uh and biographer. Yes. We both listened to this because of course we've done our own uh podcast episode about Alistair Gray's Lanark and neither of us was terribly impressed, were we? No. No. It was it was weird. It was boring. It was it was you
1: know, it just didn't seem to dig it. I don't know. Yeah, um was
0: very strange.
1: Yeah, and didn't really get I don't know, there's there's so many ways you can approach that material in that book if you want to yeah. in an interesting way. Um, I don't know. Isn't it a bit weird to just, I I mean, this whole thing about foundations for dead people is a bit weird anyway. How do you set yourself up? How does it, or not how do you, but uh, I don't want an instruction manual, but is there, is there
0: a a YouTube
1: explainer? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Is there a, is there a, um, uh, what's, what's the. Is there a competition to decide who's going to be the, uh, you know, the people, the staff in charge of the such and such foundation that manages the, uh, you know, the literary estate of somebody or other? It's the whole thing just strikes me as kind of a bit odd um, and a little distasteful somehow. But yeah i i don't know uh i don't i don't see why the people who are uh, in charge of that would necessarily be good podcasters or or even producers of podcasts but yeah
0: well uh, yeah
1: uh, i am talking about was... completely different books yeah so well whatever it is i i you know i mean the cost the cost of entry for making podcasts is almost zero as we have demonstrated um, uh-huh. but uh, yeah i I'm sure they've still got a bigger audience than we do.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that well, uh, you know, we've uh I think when we did a Burgess episode, when we talked about Tremor of Intent, I'm pretty sure on the on the Substack page I linked to the Anthony Burgess Foundation uh podcast about Tremor of Intent. But uh, so, you know, they that, that materials there and it's uh, it, it is a useful source of uh of information yeah but yeah in, in general i think uh, if you're looking for information about lanark i think you'd do better with us than with the yes probably
1: more fun uh, uh, uh podcasts in general although i've only listened to that one to be honest anyway yeah. did you um encounter contra radio for the first time this year
0: yes i did and uh, and my God, very good it is. Uh, I haven't got into any of the history stuff, uh, but I've been listening to the Sunday sermons. Yeah, cool. Um, it's isn't it cool
1: to have uh, that that title for them because they're not religious, but they mm. call they've got the they've got the framing with the organ music and they call them sermons mm. and they're delivered a, a little bit in the style of a sermon, aren't they? Mm. Yeah. No, it was a. Um, I can't remember when it was exactly. Uh, yes, it was when Sturgeon, Nicola said yeah. it was when Nicola Sturgeon uh, was uh, ousted as leader of the SNP and as First Minister of Scotland. Mm. Um, that I read on Naked Capitalism a comment where somebody has said this is also quite a good article about the politics, the background or politics of of what happened there. Uh, you know, it, dealing with specific people and 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 mm-hmm. actually looking at looking at it from a party political point of view as an insider of the SNP, as mm. well as outside, and it was congruent with what I'd read elsewhere, including from Craig Murray. So I thought, yeah, this might be quite a good quite a good resource, a counter. And so I looked to see, oh yeah, they do have some podcast stuff going on.
0: Oh yes, no, I listened to that. Yes, yes, that was excellent.
1: Uh, Fringe media uh, criticise the the takeover of the you know the, the security state of, of yeah. mainstream media. Uh, it would be interesting if those guys were to talk to that, the, how that intersects with SNP politics,
0: uh, mm. wouldn't it? Uh, but they didn't really get to cover that very much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's so much in in British politics, which is very centralised.
1: Yes. Yes. Well, there is. Yes. Um, the, actually, you know... Uh, the SNP and the whole Scottish situation, uh, the whole thing of Scottish politics—you uh, know—the co-optation of independence by uh, centrist, well, centrist liberal capitalist uh-huh. interests—it it sort of indicates a decentralised form of politics as well, because that's a, that's a that's a globalist, an Atlanticist and globalist agenda that's uh-huh. that's really being pursued there under the guise of being critical of uh, of, of uh, Westminster politics of the centre yeah. of the centralization of, of UK politics huh yeah the conclusion I came to uh, before I mean initially sturgeon was a seemed like oh finally we've we've you know the SNP becomes a little bit more approachable mm. um, let's say I became politically aware around the time of the uh you must have done too around the time of that previous referendum in scotland um in the 70s uh, where westminster where the, where the scottish the the nationalists had complained huh. that westminster had changed the rules post post facto um and but the answer was in scotland about a third of people voted in favor a third of people voted against um Mm. Uh, against another a, a third of people didn't bother to show up, didn't and up, it was, yeah. and I thought, you know, that's not really enough basis mm. to go through that kind of a radical sort of thing, you know, mm-hmm. a complete schism like that, you know, borders and setting up mm-hmm. your own defence force and whatever. I, you know, anyway, I was I was unimpressed with the SNP for many many years. Uh, along comes Sturgeon and seemed better. Uh, she was mm. uh, good in the media. She was extremely good in the media. She was yeah, very good, totally. very good with voters. She was taking selfies with everybody all the time and seeming very charming, mm. and uh, was quite capable at the same time of seeming. And she was indeed better educated than most, mm-hmm. most, uh, most London politicians, most Westminster mm. politicians. Um, so when it came to Brexit she was actually able to put some of the more important points that the it would mm-hmm. appear to me that the uh that the that the uk government just didn't even understand yeah i don't think they understood it at all uh what they were doing mm-hmm. with brexit she was able to explain some of these points mm-hmm. um so that one pressed but eventually it became clear she's a she's she's still an atlanticist she's still a liberal um she's not and the whole idea of scotland being actually more more socialist than england is a little bit feeble anyway it's i think Scot i think scottish independent politics is is mostly based upon a sort of a trying to seem different from england and the conservatives Um uh, mm. it's a rejection yeah, of that you know um it yeah. is understandable but it's also not enough to base an actual <laughs> something as a, mm. i mean it's a way bigger deal than brexit mm. you know you've got to know what you're doing i'm in favor mm. of independence if it will help i'm not going to sign on to anybody's war i'm not going to sign on to anybody's party or whatever i'm independent i if if the proposals are going to help people now yeah, i'll consider it mm. A country yeah. like Iceland has demonstrated a, uh, some of the values and virtues of independence. They were able to prosecute their, um, their banksters. Mm-hmm. And they actually did. They're pretty much the only country that did in the, uh, you know, in the post-2008 mm-hmm. uh, situation. But has anybody really talked about what exactly it would be like to be an independent Scotland? You know, I never hear yeah, proposals about that. I just always hear uh, hear about how awful England is and how we, how awful Westminster is and how badly we're treated by England. Mm. We need to get away from that. That's a negative Which argument. Is, it's not a positive yeah. one.
0: Yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, if you would like a sort of, um, a, a, we think, a pretty level view of the whole political situation, a good analysis... And uh, no easy answers, then, uh, yeah, Contra Radio is, is actually really good for that.
1: Contra, C-O-N-T-E-R. Yeah. It's kind of a weird word. I don't know where that comes from. Hmm. Um, about podcasts. Anyway,
0: come on. Let's, let's keep moving. Because...
1: I listened to the <laughs> the Red Scare podcast interview with the Bronze age Pervert, which was, uh, 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 that, was a, that was a trip. Both of those are taken by uh, the, let's say, the millennial and and younger pseudo leftists that we have here in the U.S. as being right wingers. Um, I'm not quite yeah. sure what they are, to be I, honest. Yeah,
0: I I don't get on with them.
1: <laughs> Actually, <laughs> the I, 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 the red the red scare does these amazing interviews where somehow they they um, they act all. They, they get these arch conservatives on and, uh, and, and act cute in front of them and get these guys to really reveal themselves. And that is kind of amazing. And, you know, so for example, when they had Alex Jones, it was a stunning piece of media, well, podcast, radio, yeah. whatever you want to call it, an amazing interview. I was enthralled um, I still don't like the guy, and but I, I've got a you know, it was just an amazing thing to witness. Um, and you know the you know the Bronze Age perfectvert thing there was was <laughs> extremely weird. It was also quite provocative because I had to. uh he, he He's so enthralled with Nietzsche uh, and being a Nietzschean superman um, that, that um, it provoked me to have to kind of re-educate myself there a little bit and, and and straighten out my thoughts about where Nietzsche got things right and where he got them horribly wrong. Yeah. That was that. And then I just started an experiment with podcasts myself. Um, oh, yeah. This is getting us into the next subject, which could be music. Mm-hmm. Um, but I um, have been sort of toying with this idea of how do I get to practice my um, preferred mode of music making, which is a free improvisation. Mm. Um, uh, How do I get to do that today? I don't think there are venues where I can go and perform it live anymore. It's I I could maybe find a a few places, but it would be an awful lot of work, very infrequent and um, a a tiny audience. So, Mm. and I tried a few things. I, uh, you saw a couple of videos that I did. I hated the videos on YouTube. I liked oh. the music. Hmm. You know, but I didn't like the videos.
0: Um I quite like them actually. I yeah. quite like the people walking past your window yeah. still playing away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: I mean I think I and I've done a number of things with my music on, on YouTube um, uh-huh. which have got completely unrelated videos associated with them. And that does yes. work. And that does work. And I'm happy with that. But um, anyway, the, another, I had the, look, I had the idea. Why don't I just record these things and put them out as podcasts? Because that is a very easy, technically, it's just a very easy procedure. Ah, oh, yeah. Record it. We'll see, The editing is is going to take 10 seconds, upload it. And it goes out on RSS. And then people can listen to it on their Spotify app. They can listen on their Apple app. I use a thing called um, Pocket Casts or whatever it is you use yeah. on, your, on your phone. And then you got it on your phone. And then here's the thing I really like about that. In my app, the, you go to your podcast and it appears in a, and the episodes appear in a list. So each episode is going to be one recording of one improvisation. right? Hmm. And you can listen to it. And then it disappears, oh, right? Okay. Once yeah. you finish listening to it, it's out of your list. And it's, yeah. but also, as new episodes of other podcasts that you're subscribed to, and as new episodes of my podcast arrive, they the older ones get pushed down. So there mm-hmm. is necess- There is an automatic sort of ephemeral mm. quality to it. Older yeah. ones get superseded by new events in the world, yeah. new things coming in. And I like that idea as well, because the music I want to do these improvised things would preferably be done in a, in, in, you know, in a concert kind of situation where once it's over, it's over. There isn't a yeah. recording uh, yeah. unless somebody made one that I wasn't party to. Mm. Yeah. Um, and that, that's what I would like. But there isn't a technology to do that with digital distribution. I mean, we could do a live stream and then not have a recording of it, but that's too difficult for scheduling, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, People need to be able to listen. What I want mm. is that thing where, where you, pe- you can, people can subscribe to it and they can listen once, but as they listen, it erases itself as you go along.
0: Hmm. Yeah.
1: But that technology doesn't exist. Hmm. Anyway, the whole thing well, failed. Uh-huh. Because Spotify kicks your episodes out if there's too much music in them. It says, if you want to use Spotify to distribute music, pay up. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Well, because, because, Spotify is, because Spotify is a business. How, Sp- Sp- we're, we're talking. It's not a problem.
0: Uh, right, no but, but but we have over this last year uh we have actually started to reignite the incidental music
1: i don't think that's a problem um it's uh, if okay. it's mostly well, if it's mostly music i don't yeah. know where they. there, are there they?
0: is one piece of and incidental reason. music that i composed that you forgot to put in
1: yeah you want me to
0: play that uh I hope you'll uh, you'll maybe include it in the final edit of this podcast because it was supposed to go in with the uh, cozy funny Tutti, um yeah episode yeah. and uh, it is my homage to Pierre Schaefer. have also got keep me in suspenders here is that yours oh yeah that's uh, that that's not a little piece of independent music you can use that somewhere here in the podcast yeah. okay all right so yeah. we'll bring okay. both so of those, those, so in. those two things can be go into this episode at some stage yeah and also i am a working um toiling even uh one could say to uh build up a youtube library of our little incidental music hmm. which uh, we have uh, independently independently of each other composed specially for this podcast and uh, which we would like you to be able to enjoy independently of the podcast hmm.
1: yes well I, that's i'm gonna have to think about that i mean you mentioned it today but the um i would have to go and dig up Things, but sometimes, for example, mm. the most recent one, what was it we did? Um, yeah, the
0: oh, the Vilna
1: uh, yeah, th- that was three little clips from an improvisation. The whole of which I'm not sure is up to scratch, huh. but yeah, all
0: right. Well, just why don't why not put it out and let the uh, let the listeners be the judge of that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a risky business talking about yeah, music. Well, there's uh, there's another the the John Hassel episode. We, I, I did a, a large Homage to John Hassel, yes, which you, said, you very artfully cut into three separate so, incidental moments.
1: Yes, we inserted I, I, that into the uh, into the podcast episode itself. <laughs> so, yes, yeah. when you hear music <laughs> in that episode, it's not John Hassel. But
0: <laughs> well, John Hassel, as far as we know, did not play the bassoon. As far as we know, yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah no we were listeners we have a good deal of fun with these little bits hmm. of incidental music I certainly do you know I sit down at the piano I mess around with some chords I eventually write it out uh, I arrange it for multiple bassoons and then I record it <laughs> uh, the recording is usually pretty amateurish but uh, but you know there's a point where um I don't care I'm just putting a frame round well, something and saying this is art. That's that's like that's that's got a lot to do I mean that relates closely
1: to what I'm my problem with putting things on Spotify's. If ah. if I if I put something on Spotify, it feels to me like it, it needs to be well produced and finished. I understand, yeah. You know? If yeah. it goes out on a podcast, it's a different yeah. matter. Yeah. yeah. You
0: know, it's so liberating, isn't
1: it? Yeah. yeah. Um yeah. but it doesn't work. You can't put music on a podcast and, and have people listen to it on Spotify. They won't allow it. Huh. When I say put music out, you can't. Yeah. You know, I mean, I try. I took it, I took one of these things. I put like thirty seconds of speech at the beginning and twenty seconds yeah. at the end, and it still rejected it. So wow. No. Well, yeah. Stick with Substack. Yeah, look, they've got they've got Ameri- U S in the U S. Uh, there's a duopoly there of Apple and Spotify, uh, mm. so they write the rules. Oh, you still yeah. have to live with it. But well, we we, we still have Substack. Come on, wait. yes, but people aren't going to listen to podcasts on Substack on the web, right? And they're not going. They're not likely to be loading the, the the Substack app on their phone to listen to to music. Hmm. I don't well, think so. I mean, it, it, is, okay. ca- it can
0: be done. It can be done, yeah. Right, Listen, uh, I managed it. Right, but <laughs>
1: that's a different thing from I want my stuff to be easily available to you uh, using whatever yeah. app yeah, it yeah. is you already use. It's true. And for that, yeah. on phones in this country, there's only two apps. Hmm.
0: And one of them God. is forbidden. Yeah. Yeah. Sucks. Okay. Having done that, shall we move on to books? Uh music. No. Oh, music. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I don't no, have you, any. You books had quite a lot things. of music because <laughs> I. Uh, you you start this because I, I I droned on about old bebop records last week.
1: <laughs> uh yes, raveling through things. Uh there was to my surprise a new music album. Uh, as I actually tried to get you to listen to a music track in preparation for the Mark Fisher episode. Uh, uh. It was this electronic jungle bass uh, uh, drum bass jungle thing uh, uh-huh. that I think is a, is a beautiful song and uh, and a nice demonstration of uh, 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 of jungle uh, drum programming. Right. So that's a pretty old one. Uh, and he was one of these guys that came up in, you know, in the early 90s. It's uh, kind of contemporaneous with Aphex Twin. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I thought it had a, had a very uh, engaging, humorous approach. Uh, hmm. The new albums all not... Uh, I'm not sure about it. It, it doesn't have the... Um, it doesn't have the personality uh, that I was hoping to... To, to come over, you know, to, to find in it. But there it
0: was. Did you delve at all into Dolly Parton's new album? No, I haven't. No, I didn't get time for that because you you insisted that there was one album that was very important for me to delve into <laughs> and so I'll listen to that instead. <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah, well. Um, I take it that you, uh, that, uh, you enjoyed uh, Dolly.
1: Well, yes and no. The trouble is the album's way too long. It's, oh. it's 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 like two and a half hours long the story mm-hmm. here is she she was offered to be inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame and oh, initially yeah. she initially she answered no i'm a country music artist <laughs> you know I, i'm not rock, I'm, you know. and then she had the idea well why do i record a rock and roll album and she did mm. and she called it rock star um and it's <laughs> the critic for The Guardian, he actually kind of had a point here, although I hated him for it. Um, mm. It's like endless karaoke um, because, uh, <laughs> you know, like m- about 21 of the 30 songs are, are covers, and mm. most of them are, are very, very well known. But, mm. and, and then you realize, you know, if you're Dolly Parton, you can get. Uh, the best musicians and arranger and producers oh, involved uh, and do a pretty cool version of Stairway to Heaven yeah. uh, or whatever. And, yes, it's 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 got some some fine moments. I think it's one that you should listen to one track at yeah. a time or a couple of few tracks at a time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just thinking, uh, just listening to you describe it, it sounds like a terrible missed opportunity because, you know, Country and western and the blues uh, kind of went side by side for quite a while, yeah. and there must be a sort of area between the two. Well, there is, which you could do in a in a rock fashion. Yes,
1: you know? there is. Uh, there is yeah. country rock. There is. there yeah. is that 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 crossover space exists and actually this is an interesting political point it'll take a too long to discuss though mm-hmm. but it i think that there's the you know the the urban elite market you know educated people disdain mm. that and and want want to keep their stuff separate um uh, and the um you know and, the, and a lot of the country guys are a bit are, are a bit antagonistic as
0: well yeah uh and it's a it's a terrible shame really well yeah because i actually one of the things that you know we were talking about how um this is a review show but it's not actually a review show about stuff that came out this year it's also yeah. about stuff that we did we just happened to happen happened to wander into our transom this year. <laughs> it <laughs> so, doesn't wander. With the, <laughs> well with the transom one of the things that i that I, I one of the books that i read this year was uh Woody Guthrie's autobiography. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Which is uh you know, which is very very interesting stuff. I mean, uh, probably only about half of it's true. But um but it it, it talks a, talks a bit about this uh about you know, that there was there's, there was no sort of great dividing wall between the blues and what you know right. could call country music, yeah. And early and early stuff, yeah. and early on, on there was it was they were
1: both just American music.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. But uh, one of the things that I I reviewed, I went back and listened to all four of the CDs we've got of uh, Bill Hicks, and yeah. a theme that keeps recurring up there is complete snobbery towards Hicks and country well. fans and uneducated people from the South, Yeah. right? And it's yeah. actually pretty, those moments are pretty distasteful to me. But, you know, you, that has been a part of uh, a, a more elitist culture since, Since you know, I mean, probably the first time, I well, one of the early instances I can remember of it is a, a song called Truck Di- Driver Divorce by Frank Zappa. Um, ah, yeah You know, and it's, it's, it's a sort of a painful, one of his painful, um, comedy things, but it's also really condescending. Um, mm. and you know, I, why mm. there's things about people that we can dislike. Sure. Mm. But disliking them on the basis of the kind of music they like, you know,
0: mm. I don't get that. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so. Uh,
1: some yeah, more music. Uh,
0: I've got. So, some more music. So, what, what about this album you sent me then? Do you, do you want to do a couple more country things? Oh, okay. Yeah, sure.
1: Carry on. To, so, there was a beautiful compilation album came out this year called I Am a Pilgrim, which is, uh, I think, close to 20 tracks by different artists, some of them very interesting ones, and they're all. Uh, Mm. Covers of Doc Watson tunes or tunes that Doc Watson played. Uh-huh. Uh, that's worth a look in. And I hope you put the link to a YouTube there, which is a, a, just a solo guitar performance, three minutes long. Uh-huh. There's no singing, just the guitar. And uh what's her name? Yasmin something or other. And uh it's phenomenal to watch. It's just glorious. And it's actually uh-huh. the recording that's on the album. Uh So, right. you know, that... And uh, you know, if you're a guitar nerd, you can enjoy the split screen with see the close up of the left hand and the right hand. But otherwise, it's it's you know what it's like when a um, when a uh, when a real virtuoso is in front of you, and you can see the the effect that doing this has is having on that person right there in front of you. Mm-hmm. That it can, itself can be quite affecting. Really? You know? yeah. Uh it can be very exciting. Can be quite emotional. Um, mm. There's that in it as well. So I, I, I love that little video, but the whole album's good. Um, and then there was City of Gold by Molly Tuttle and the Golden Highway, mm. which is tremendous. That's really worth worth listening to. I recommend uh, Molly Tuttle to everyone. And if you're not sure you want to get into it, I chose the song Stranger Things there that you can go listen to. We can um, right. put a link to that maybe uh, on Substack, it's a, that's a four-minute listen, so it's not going to take up an awful lot of your life. To, uh, to see uh, Molly Tuttle sort of become more just kind of more skilled as a songwriter um, mm-hmm. you know, and um, as an arranger I suppose she does yeah. her own arrangements and she's dealing with the kind of I mean her old bands really, in, well, some of them are, are, are well established virtuoso performers but uh-huh. It's only on the on the sort of like show off bluegrass tracks where they're where they're really showing off, you know. They, they, that is one of the subgenres, and uh, there. Mm. But on many of the songs, they're, she's just using them like musicians for the in service of a song, which is mm. like like in the one uh, the one I've chosen called Stranger Things. So those are great. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. Now I pointed one out for you, and I think you actually did take an interest, judging by one link you put in. Mm-hmm. It was called Memoria. Yeah. And it's an album by John Zorn and Bill Laswell. Bill Laswell's mm-hmm. playing, I, I think it's a, um, it, it seems like it's th- three improvisations. Uh, yes. Taken yes, it is. Single takes, you know. Yeah. The first one is called Pharaoh Saunders. The yeah. second one is called Milford Graves. And the third one is called Wayne Shorter. Who, you yeah. know, it's the end of the year. These are all guys that died this year.
0: Yeah, so I know, it's a pretty pretty scary. It's good, great, uh, we also it? lost Jeff Beck this year as well That, that was, was this year. I was, I was track. I wanted that was to this check year, that, yeah. the beginning of this right. year. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I was yeah. trying. I wanted to check on that
0: um, But what did you th- uh, did you listen? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. no, I listened to a of it now the Pharaoh Sanders track I was not all that wild about yeah. Um I continue to think that uh, actually f- the best Pharoah Sanders uh, tribute to listen to is to go out and listen to some Pharaoh Sanders. Sure, uh, because but that's not it, an homage.
1: You're, yeah, oh you God. could say the same thing about your homage to Pierre Schaeffer. Yes,
0: all right, f- fair dues. Um, but uh, the the second one, the um, Milford Graves. Yeah. That uh, that well, for a start, the uh, as you've seen from the link that I put up on the on the on the list, uh, the opening of it reminded me really clearly of uh, Stravinsky's Symphonies of Wind Instruments. I wonder about that. Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. Which is a homage to Debussy. I don't know. And it's yeah, it's a it's it's like a it's like a Greek ceremony. And so that's why you have these these really high sort of shrieking oboes and wind and uh, and flutes and yeah do and, uh, and this uh, this saxophone cry at the opening of the uh, of, of the of the second uh, track on this album yeah. really put me in mind of those of that mm
1: It might be like over thirty five years
0: since I listened to the Symphony of Wind Instruments. I should go back and do that well, maybe in the edit you can put those two moments side by side
1: <laughs> yes, uh if I feel that ambitious and have some time
0: yeah. uh yeah well we we used to we we always used to play people bits of. Bits of records and bits of music. I don't know why we stopped doing it. It's so a lot of work. It's, um, it's a lot of work.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, either we have to get everything queued up before we record uh, uh, and sort of like DJ it as we're going along or, uh, mm. or, or I have to go and do an, or it really does add a lot of work. Okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> I liked the Ferris <laughs> Saunders one actually, because I'm, I, I like, uh, I think John Zorn's a really tremendous player and I, I think he's very musical. I, in, I've enjoyed his sax oh. playing all these years, but when he he threw in in the middle of his usual weirdness, he threw in these Ferrisonda style bits. It, 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 it was emotional for me. That's that's yeah. Uh, it came across like him, you know. And okay. so I did like that.
0: Uh, I was I was quite amazed at how because uh, there's there's some sort of you know. Uh, hooting and booting goes on in the in the Wayne Shorter movement later on, but uh, but actually there's bits where he's playing very very melodically and quite beautifully in that. No, he's a very
1: competent player. Oh. Um, no, he can he can he can do a lot of stuff. What what he doesn't do is, as far as I'm aware, well, he's done an awful lot of stuff. But I, I don't hear him doing bebop solos much, mm. right? Um, but I think he could if he set his mind to it. He just doesn't do that kind of thing. Mm. But, you know, uh-huh. he's, he, he's a very solid player um, and, and, and can be super musical.
0: Oh. Ah. well, yeah. No, that's, uh, that's certainly an intriguing album. So that yeah. came out, the, this album came out this year, didn't it? Quite late it? in yeah. the year, yeah. Ah, oh, yeah. 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 Oh. Okay, did you go out to any gigs this year? Yeah, I don't really do that
1: anymore. Um, or did I? No, I did. Yes, I taught, saw Thomas Ankerschmidt at the Goethe Institute. Oh, I don't know great. why I was there. I think it, it, for a while, well, a non-event uh, produces shows there. And I think for a while they they limited it to things that ha- was to do with the mission of the Goethe Institute, which is promoting German culture. Mm-hmm. But they sometimes have things that are unconnected because he's from the Netherlands, you know. But mm. Yeah, he was playing an analog synth, uh, a modular synth. um, Cool. He did a very good job, very, very good job.
0: That's great. That was it, I think. Yeah, no, well, I, I think I only got out uh, to see. Oh, well, I suppose I wandered into one or two things, but I actually bought a ticket and went to see the Sun Ra Orchestra. Yeah. Yeah. Which was, yeah, it's fantastic.
1: Have you, I, I mean, looking at the photo of that, I'm suddenly <coughs> realizing, you know, there uh, there may be a stronger correspondence between. Uh, the orchestra and George Clinton, than there is between. <laughs> yes, there is between the
0: orchestra and let's say Duke Ellington. Oh Fletcher Henderson, maybe. I mean, they unfortunately uh, they still they still play some of the old Fletcher Henderson tunes. Yeah. Yeah, George Clinton, or, or actually Earth, Wind, and Fire. Oh, I I who, did. Yes. Yes. Sure. Who had a lot of that. They used a lot of the Egyptian sort of uh, uh, imagery as well. No, it's it's clear that um, going out to see the orchestra now, um, it's they. I wouldn't say they're playing only the hits exactly, but. Um, yeah uh the, i mean the the playing is fantastic, some of the soloing is out of it literally out of this world <laughs> of course it is by definition <laughs> it's uh yeah a particular shout out to the to the keyboard player who's you know got a very big pair of shoes to fill yes it's uh, wonderfully but um but you know you don't get the sort of um the really, really challenging stuff that would have happened if you were seeing the orchestra when Sonny was still uh there, yeah Speaking you know, like of- you you would you, you know <laughs> the one time I saw them for a start, there was one number where they had. Uh, four wind synthesizers playing in in quarter tones. Yeah, <laughs> and that went on for about fifteen minutes until. It <laughs> or too long for for yeah, everybody. Too long. <laughs> yeah, and uh, even the, at the start of the gig, the whole audience was made to wait outside um because Sonny had written a new tune on the bus and he had to write parts out for the musicians and rehearse it quickly before playing yeah. it that evening you know mm. so stuff like that isn't isn't going to happen uh which is uh, which is a, a shame but you, i mean my god they've got they've got so much repertoire uh they could play um you know uh the traditions all of the all of the the stuff has, can be handed on uh, there's no reason why it shouldn't continue forever. The orchestra, you know, and I, I hope it does because, you know, people were turning up who who, you know, weren't even alive when when Sonny was still here, and uh, and really getting excited about it. And you know, it's a it's it's a great thing. It's a great tradition. I was really glad I went. So I was really glad that I took Petra, although she was, I think she was a little bit apprehensive, but she loved it as well. Yeah, fantastic. If the orchestra's if the orchestra lands in your town, go and see them. That's what I've got to say. <laughs> I did. I did manage
1: to see. Oh, uh, it's a bri- uh, actually it's part of the Criterion thing because um, uh, that, that that landed in there. Space is the Place is in there. Oh,
0: yeah. Have you yeah, seen yeah. that movie? Space is the Place. I've seen bits of it. I've never actually sat down and seen the whole thing. Yeah.
1: It's pretty fun. Yeah. It's, uh, it's got a particular scene in it where uh, that represents his early life as a club uh, pianist. Oh, yeah. Um but it's it, it, it's different and uh the playing the piano playing gets so wild that something like a hurricane sweeps everybody out of the of the club some of them getting very badly hurt on the way uh, extreme very fun dramatic piece of uh you know sequence there and it's left with just Sun Ra and somebody who represents the devil Sitting in the audience, oh, <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Anyway, um, great. we got to move on. Yeah, books, books you want to do? Yeah, you know, I forgot to put, put put any books on my list. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I just well, I literally that forgot. Be quite quickly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I got a web page. We could do that instead of a book. Okay. Page. <laughs> At the end of our episode on uh, Brett Easton Ellis's book White. We uh decided that um it was basically not quite what we uh expected from him and not quite what we maybe even were looking Come for. On. I haven't read it from him. Oh, oh sorry. sorry,
1: White, yes, you're sorry, I'm yeah, confused. White,
0: yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um and that what we were really looking for was a novel that was going to maybe sum up the current generation and maybe even show us a way out of where we'd got to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, something like uh, two weeks after that, those words had left our collective mouth, uh, the post came on Instagram uh where Brett easton Ellis was taking delivery of the proofs of his new novel, so you know that had gone quick yeah, and um it Junely arrived this year uh the shards all six hundred pages of it mm. uh was it what we had asked for in our podcast uh no. Instead of that, uh, we've got an investigation of Ellis' own past. Uh, apparently, the book that he'd been trying to write for 40 or 50 years. Is it any good? Uh, yeah, I think it probably is. Well, certainly I read it, and it's 600 pages long, so that counts for something, doesn't it? mm uh, it's a very good aren't you, aren't warish you, aren't you complete thriller. aren't you completest with Brett Easton Ellis? yeah you've got a point yeah. mm. still uh it is i think i'm right in saying that, that that it is the longest thing that he's ever written and glamorama's quite long but uh i uh, also i think glamorama's very underrated I think that's that's actually a lot, a lot better than most people think but the shards is a is a really good moirish thriller uh set in high school there's uh so of squeamish it, it, there's quite a lot of homosexual sex in it but uh, you know so there's so is it so does it therefore deal with
1: the generation we were telling him he needs to write a book book about
0: here's the thing he uh it, it, like he said it's it's the book that he wanted to write when he was in high school uh it was only actually when he got this far and into lockdown that he realized that the voice he needed to write that book about that time was the voice of an old man looking back on that time mm. That's which really, is uh, which is quite an interesting perspective it's to also, start with. It's also
1: almost the only one he could he could really convincingly mm. present. I mean, he's he's tried to write about uh, younger people uh, in in white, and he obviously only partly understands them. Mm. Unlike us, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand. But I mean it's it's pretty clear from his writing he doesn't understand them better than me.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. That's fair. Well, it's also um for a for a younger audience it's sort of interesting because um uh, obviously he's he's the main character of this book or a version of him is. Um he is uh, He's he's quite popular at school. He's uh, going out with a with a very attractive uh, girl. He is gay, and he's have he's sneaking off and having all of these affairs with other guys from the same school. So there, so everybody's le- leading a double life, which is sort of one of the motifs of the whole book. Uh, was it fair of us to ask for him for a book that would lead us out of? The current situation
1: I given don't know. given that we're uh podcasters with an audience of three and he 's <laughs> Brett easton ellis
0: i don 't fucking care, yeah, but one <laughs> of those three people is brett easton Ellis obviously <laughs>
1: <laughs> true but uh, yeah I, I think it's fair i mean it's we're you know he doesn't he, he can he can choose to ignore us if he wants, and he did oh. <sighs>
0: Well, you know, I, I did try to get him on the podcast so that we could <laughs> ask him all of these questions face-to-face, face, but uh, mysteriously he hasn't replied. Yeah. Crickets, uh, as they say. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, I wonder if I've got the right address, actually. But is it a self-indulgent book? Are all books self-indulgent?
1: No. Well,
0: well. yes, to the extent that
1: I think most people who write books write them because they want to write a book. I mean, but that's that's trivial. It just doesn't.
0: Yeah, well, it's uh, a banality no, to say on, so. so there's lie, a step. Like. Uh, there's a step before that. I mean, uh, they want to write a book, or they have. Do they write them because they have no choice but to write this book? No, people have choices. If it's really, if you really have to get it out, if it's really something that's bothering you, you don't have you, to then publish you have it. To write the book. All right. Yeah. Fair. Hmm.
1: Yeah, catharsis can be kept private. What's the difference between somebody who, en- uh, you know, an ordinary person who enjoys music and a, and a, and a radio
0: DJ? Yeah, I suppose so. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, it's actually worth your time, 600 pages, which is a fair chunk of time. <laughs>
1: yes. If if part of your entertainment, just filling in the spaces in your day, is uh, is by reading and then... You can put it in that space. The fact that it's six hundred. This is one of those. I actually did find something useful in that Lanark podcast. Uh, huh. where what there were two two interesting points in there. One of them was that apparently Lanark is widely read in Scotland, but not elsewhere. Uh-huh. Which is yeah, um, it's,
0: it's part of the school syllabus in Scotland, yeah. and
1: oh. that now helps me understand what you were saying which I actually heard one place else which was that uh-huh. it's got a reputation for being difficult yeah um, yeah giving a big fat book to a school child and saying you have to read this yeah that's a completely different thing isn't it yeah absolutely. that's like that's like yeah. running a marathon as a punishment or you know yeah. you know you where you know with somebody cracking a whip behind you uh, yeah. um and and choosing
0: to do it yeah <sighs> well i mean but uh, but I, I found actually Lannock, uh i mean i've i have not been been able to get through uh books in my life, but Lannock wasn't one of them I found it actually very easy to read
1: yeah i i think, And i think uh, although you know, this, relative this, to some things we read the
0: language in there is easy and appealing mm. Mm. it's it's also cut up into short chapters, which helps a lot mm. um but uh also, the shards actually, yeah, it's it's big, but it's uh, but it's not a not a frightening uh, read, and the the thriller part of the story propels you through it. You know, no. it uh, it does does keep you reading. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's very very entertaining, and I suppose we'll have to be satisfied with entertainment. Yes. Um, I could mention one book. Uh, it's
1: fairly recently published, I'm sure it's not this year, that I launched into, uh, I haven't got to the end of yet, and I don't intend mm-hmm. to try and do the whole thing in one go, The Exegesis of Philip K. Dick, which is gigantic, and mm-hmm. if you know something about the strange psychedelic experience he had in 1972, oh, yeah. that changed his life, and... No, I don't know anything about this. Oh, yeah. Um, very interesting. It was quite what happened to him then is not clear, although he's documented everything he knows about it in the exegesis and elsewhere. Wow. And anyway, so basically the uh, he'd been working, he'd been trying to work out what this meant because he uh-uh. had an experience that went on for some days. And... It was compounded by some other medical issues. He ended up in hospital with extremely high blood pressure, like double what it's supposed to be and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, after having taken some vitamins, he was trying to have a psychedel- some sort of a, a mind-expanding experience. But mm. in the process of working this stuff out, he produced this utterly unique literary work which at the end of the day, when it came to ex, you know, to sorting out his literary estate, yeah. was about 3,000 pages. And this wow. was dense, 3,000 pages. This is somebody who's trying to save paper, 3,000 pages. Um, wow. And edited down, and I think it's maybe something of the order of 20 or 25%. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a massive tome. You know. It's one volume, but uh, something like 750 pages. Um mm-hmm. uh, and it's fascinating. It is a it's it's well, first of all it's a literary object in and of itself and it's it's the voice of Philip K Dick. It's the thing that you're mm-hmm. familiar with. But it's his working out of what happened to him. What was that? And the essentially revelatory religious meaning that it happened that, that, that it had for him, hmm. but in the process of trying to work it out, he explores a tremendous amount of history and uh, philosophy and uh, the history of uh, the develop, the early development of Christianity and other related uh, hmm. beliefs and so forth. You know, it's a but but also modern uh, philosophy as well. Uh, it's 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 like from the point of view of Philip K. Dick, the who's mm. such an interesting writer anyway. Yeah, him educating himself on uh, you know through ex- encyclopedias and sort of uh, autodidact on, mm. on these things without being an expert with actually, which makes it more interesting than academics. Mm. Yeah, talking yeah, about yeah, it. exactly. Um, uh trying to trying to piece together a a, a metaphysics for himself and mm-hmm. in some of which he he uh, th- th- and this is where it gets a bit freaky some of his novels become source material for this where he takes a where he takes a a, a slightly different interpretation of for example did you read uh ubik um no the
0: no the only novel. um the only thing i've read is the man in the high castle. Yeah. Um,
1: which gets mentioned in, in in the exegesis, but yeah, so there's a there's like a thirty hour long audio book of this that I've been sort of listening to on and off um <laughs> it's, yeah, it's something else if you if I would recommend reading valise, which is an excellent book anyway, because mm. this includes a chunk from the exegesis and it and it di- and it directly deals with topics. Uh, and and it was written after this experience as well and it's um, so that that would that's sort of like a mini it's a nice novel introduction to the whole
0: uh, this whole aspect of Dick Um, Hmm. anyway whilst we're on the subject of enormous books uh, I had a I had a a quite wild experience this year because I went to um, went to went to Rome for a, for a long weekend, and um, I went to the uh, to the uh, Rome Museum of twenty uh, first century art, and uh, there was a, a big uh, exhibition about Pasolini. Hmm. There a very um, very sort of physical um, exhibition. Uh, so. Uh, uh, <clears throat> you know, mo- uh, the, the same model of car that uh, was used in his murder and all this kind of stuff. Um, but there was one moment when um, I turned a corner in this, uh, in this exhibition and I came face to face with, uh, with sort of bare room with an enormous waxwork of, uh, of this meeting of the Grand Council of Fascists from I think 1943 uh, you know it's, it's, so you've this, this big long table with life size figures of everybody and Mussolini in the middle um, and uh, you know if you're not sort of prepared for it it's it's uh, it's, it's pretty shocking something like that uh, and uh, after having gone around this exhibition I realised uh, you know I don't actually know anything about pasolini um i only know him as a name based and you know what i've what i've read and stuff like you know one or two things about films and the 120 days of sodom and all this kind of stuff so <clears throat> i um got onto amazon and got hold of a book by a guy called barth david schwartz which is called pasolini requiem and um, yeah, at the end of that, I, I'm I now uh, I wouldn't say I know that much more about Pasolini, but at least I have an, an appreciation of what a what an incredible figure this was, and what a uh, a sort of fundamental part of Italian intellectual life he was, and what a uh, what the Germans would call a stir Think somebody a, a contrarian somebody who who not kind of deliberately well, it, it, look, you said a couple
1: of you, you used a couple of words there a bit bit confusing when you say incredible people can say can people can mean i mean the literal meaning is you can't believe it um mm. but that can mean good or not and then you said foundational mm. and then you said uh i mean when do you mean something like a a contrarian by factor?
0: Yeah, this is all a very yeah, confusing I, set you could of words. Just always, always. Uh, I mean, I have have this impression that you could always rely on him to 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 point to the weak point in in the sort of received uh, the received point of view. I mean, also, you know, this was this was a guy who made uh, a whole series of of. Uh, of socially critical and uh, and you know quite left-wing films, who was uh, who then made uh, the Gospel According to Matthew. And, uh, this was also somebody who was a lifelong communist, whose whose brother had actually been murdered by the communists at the end of the war. You know, it, he was sort of massive, what looked like contradictions, which of course to him didn't ever appear to be contradictions. And he was a huge contributor to Italian intellectual life. Yes, that much is and, clear. And to, to have something like that suddenly disappear from one day to another, that must have been quite a, a, a loss that would be really felt.
1: Um, yes, and perhaps also helped to establish
0: him. Perhaps, although, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I spent a while sort of watching, uh, obviously, I, I mean, I don't speak Italian, but I, I spent a while trying to watch bits and pieces of clips of him um, being interviewed. Uh, there's, there's a fair collection on YouTube.
1: Well, the, the sort of general incoherence of his work and the the sort of, very obviously deeply contrarian of it and the way euro intellectuals talk about him together those things have been off-putting to me and i've I've, i've i've got the sort of general impression of somebody who's probably an artistic and intellectual fraud uh and the and you know and has posthumously become an industry
0: uh you know and well, arts, I don't art I'm, I'm still uh, I'm, I, I wouldn't have a, have an opinion quite as strong as that um for a start as a poet uh I think even though I've only seen bits and pieces of stuff uh and that in translation as well but I do have have an appreciation for uh for that side of his of his output I think it was quite something in that area. Well, um, we had our little run-in over poetry earlier
1: this year on a podcast episode, didn't we? Did we? Yeah. Which and one? Was that that was during um, um, "Alles Vida offen." oh, yeah, Manchester that's Southern right. About the yeah. thing, and I was like, I can't. I, I've have ne- I've
0: never really been good with uh, dealing with poetry. So, um, but yet later on when I pulled out some T.S. Eliot to describe John Hassel's performance. Yes. uh, You
1: understood that? I understood (laughs) it because it's it's very direct and literal. Now, if you take... You know, there was a... This is a very poignant memory for me. Um, When my mother was ill and getting close to death, um, my sister had pulled out a book off the shelf, which was a BBC publication of because um, for something on, on, on like Radio 4 or something, they've had a poetry minute or uh-huh. a short program. Poetry Please, wasn't it called? Yes, that's it. Yes. yes that's it. And uh, so that had been going on for forever. And every now and then they would have a, I don't think it was every year, but every now and then they would have a a, a poll where they just asked the listeners, why are you writing and tell us what your favorite poem is? Mm. And this was then sort of tabulated collected together and they put this anthology together on the basis of that and yeah. i read through it and recognized and noticed that i recognized uh maybe more than half of them uh so yeah. somehow at some point i had you know uh, I'd, they'd come in they'd come into my consciousness and uh-huh. and i didn't find them difficult to understand i didn't yeah. um uh, and that was so what this is saying to me is that there is a strand of popular English poetry that I think probably was intended for a popular audience rather than a highfalutin yeah. audience, um, which is, you know, that's no problem. Elliot certainly fits into that category. Even song lyrics for mostly, mostly I don't understand. I don't understand the, the lyrics to, um, to the song. I just I gave you all to as homework, Stranger Things, uh, the Molly Tuttle song. Oof. Um, <laughs> I think it might be about watching TV. <laughs> 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 I'm not sure.
0: Okay. No, well, when
1: I, when I, when I, um, when I do this dismissive thing, like I just did with, uh, with Pasolini, I'm expressing a heuristic. We don't have time to deal with everything in, uh, in culture, do we? So we all use heuristics to decide what we're going to pay attention to and what we're not. I guess... uh, We we all do. We have to. There's no alternative.
0: But then, you know, uh, maybe we have an experience like wandering through this exhibition yeah uh, completely at random and uh, and that's what leads us to uh, to consider it all right again
1: uh, the the heuristic choices like that they can there are this approach often works well but it is by definition a statistical thing it's it's yeah. tricky so you can make mistakes um you know it a simple example is um how do you decide whether or not you don't like someone right there are how much time are you going to give somebody to, to find, um, you know, proper evidence that you could, mm. let's say, recount to a family member? That's why I don't like that person. I've got proper evidence. You know, most of us can tell pretty quick whether or not that's somebody to avoid. Yeah, you know what I, I mean? suppose so. That, yeah. That's heuristics. You, know, you, can ba- you, can, you can learn a lot just from watching somebody's body language.
2: Mm. You know?
0: I think that might just be the year wrapped up. Well, it's enough for you.
1: (laughs) Let me see if there's anything else on my list that I especially want to mention. Yeah, unfortunately, the only TV show that I saw that I thought was actually worth mentioning Mm. uh, was late in 2022. So that doesn't really count. Inside Man with David Tennant. Did you watch that? No, I didn't.
0: Yeah. Uh, except, oh, hold on, you're not right, because you and I both, independently of each other, watched bodies. No, it's not worth mentioning.
1: Mm. Not not at this late stage, we're out of time. Mm. Did you think Although it was good?
0: I did have a real, rather nasty moment the other day when I saw somebody on the tram who had that haircut <laughs> that the Which girls one? got in... You know, the oh, the, yeah, with, the, the bangs, with the bits yeah. missing here. Yeah. And I was like, I no, I I'm sorry, are you real or are you from another dimension? <laughs> mm, mm. <laughs> uh the the and the
1: webpage. Let's mention the webpage. Um because why not? Um yeah. a new scan of the Vermeer girl with the earring mm-hmm. uh has been made. Uh so it's it's really a showpiece for the scanner that they use. Uh huh. But it took a few days to complete the scan. You know, it's not that big a painting either. but mm. it's ridiculously high resolution, <laughs> and it has depth information, so mm. they can create a 3D image. Oh. so you can tilt the thing in, and and look at the paint marks, you know the, oh, so for example, right. the highlight in the in the eye. uh-huh. You can see where the, paint, where the paintbrush was drawn back. It's a little spike. You know, things like that. But it's also, it's so high res that as you zoom in and in and in, it becomes abstract, it becomes abstract art. Wow. You know, do you remember, you remember, I think, when was this? Um, back in the early, in, in, no, it was in the 80s, late 80s, when computer people started showing off Mandelbrot set pictures. Do you remember that name? The Mandelbrot set. No. <laughs> uh, it was, anyway, we could, it was possible to draw pictures that were fractal, where you could zoom in, huh. draw a little rectangle here in your picture, and zoom into that and display another picture with the same amount of detail. And you mm. could keep doing this. So there are certain mathematical objects that have this property. And then mm. people started showing them on computer displays. So it's kind of got that feel to it. Anyway, there's a a very nice website that that has this scan available for you to manipulate it through a user interface. Mm-hmm. And take a look, so you can. I don't know. I I like um, Northern Renaissance painting anyway. Uh, uh-huh. I'm sort of more into representational stuff than you know the stuff they. Um, the more modern stuff that's so popular, and 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 Vermeer, yes, I'll I'll agree with the experts on on the, his mm. his skill and genius, but the um yeah, so it's 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 a, it's a not one of my favourite of his paintings to be honest, but um it's a it's an amazing technological thing. I mean, we basically think of it in these terms: it's a view of an artwork that was not, was literally not possible unless until this technology yeah. was provided. I mean, you could take a microscope yeah. to the thing and if it's a good enough microscope, you could look at it, but you can't, yeah. you have to move the microscope around. You can't, you can't get the 3d view either. That yeah. that involves a computer trick that you can't do with a real microscope. Um, mm. so, You know, it's it's another of these things where the technology comes along to actually afford something completely new, which is that much detail and being able to recreate the microscopic 3D image. It's amazing. Well... You're going to bed, I can see.
0: Yeah, it only remains for us to wish all of our listeners a very happy 2024. Oh, I hope so. We'll have some. uh, We'll have some good shows lined up for you. We will have some. Hopefully, some uh, interesting guests. You know, if Brett Easton Ellis ever gets back to us. Yes, Uh, you might be able to help with that, dear listeners. Yes,
1: if you get to the end of an episode this
0: long, (laughs) nobody. Uh, You know, if you're listening to this somewhere in in a condo in Century City, go and bang on next door and. So ask Brett why he hasn't got back to us. Hmm. Bye-bye. Okay, all the best.